The following episode was recorded live on YouTube for Adulting.TV Live. Welcome to Adulting, a podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at Adulting.TV. Welcome to Adulting.TV Live. I'm Harlan. I'm here with Miranda, as always, and we are here with Rebecca Neal. So how are you, Rebecca? I'm doing well today. How are you? I'm doing great. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a master at negotiation? Well, I'm an attorney, and they say attorneys practice law, so I can't necessarily say I'm master negotiator, but I practice negotiating so that I can get better and better with each negotiation. Over 10 years ago in law school, I had moved to a different city. I needed a new car and I went through negotiating the purchase of that car and I walked away feeling terrible about it. So the next year in law school, I took a negotiating class that just changed my world. Since then, I've been employing everything I've learned in that class over the past 10 years as a litigator in court settlements, in car purchases, and buying a home, and everywhere. You'd be surprised how many places you can negotiate something. So tell me, is there a settlement that you can talk about that you feel that you negotiated so well and you were just really proud of? <laughs> I am proud of most of my settlements, to be honest. So I can't think of one in particular. I, at one point, I had a job where I was in court every single week negotiating a settlement for my client, and I was helping them resolve some really sticky issues. And honestly, every time my client walks away happy, I walk away happy. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah. what happened with the original when you went to buy that car and right. you realized that your negotiation skills needed some improvement, mm-hmm. it led to the class. What happened with that negotiation that was so bad? So what happened? Actually, this was when I sold the car. When I sold the car, I listed it for a certain amount that I really wanted it for. And I told myself, oh, my bottom line is a certain amount. It was a, it was a beater car. Okay. So I think my bottom line was 1400 and I'd listed it at 18. And the person negotiating said, you know, will you take 1400 for it? And I said, yes. And afterwards I said, well, yeah, I got my goal, but I always wondered if I had countered, would I have gotten more? And I really think I would have. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that I always tell myself is always counter. There are so few situations where you don't want to counter offer, particularly in a home purchase or in a car purchase. My broker told me when we bought our home, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So when we bought our last car, I came prepared. I knew what the car values were, what the range would be. I had researched up and down in my state, Massachusetts, all the different values for this type of make and model. And I was able to negotiate. Well, the car was selling, it could have been around $22 thousand five hundred dollars but in the end I bought it for nineteen thousand and fifty and that's because I came prepared I I usually negotiate with honey and not with vinegar you know I don't make a big stink I ask nicely I say is this the best you can do 
And during the process, as I sat down with the salesperson, I was just kind of looking at my phone because he had walked away for some reason. And I looked at the car online, listed online, and I was about to email the link to my family and say, look at the car I'm about to buy. I was so excited. And I saw that they had lowered the price on the car online in the time that I had been test driving the car. So that's crazy. (laughs) Yes. So when the salesperson sat down, I said, you know, they just listed this car for, I forget what it was. It was like 20,900 or something. And he's like, Oh, did they, you know, he was like, the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing at this dealership. So we got it. So that's actually where we started from. And then I was able to get it under 20,000. I was really happy with that. That's awesome. So I did kind of want to ask you because they have done research. They have found that, you know, there are certain populations that when they start negotiating, start with a higher point. So, you know, one of those things is women. They often quote women higher interest rates. They quote them higher prices. And then uh, when you're negotiating salary, women often get quoted a lower salary or women just don't ask for a higher salary. And it's a pretty fair margin by which, you know, men are more likely to ask than women are more likely to ask. So uh, what kinds of things do you do to work around that since you are in fact a woman? (laughs) What kinds of things do you do to work around that whole uh, negotiating issue? You know, it comes kind of with a premium. If you're not a white man, there's a premium. (laughs) You're absolutely right. And, you know, the second you walk into a negotiation, the other party is going to make a judgment about, you know, your abilities. And sometimes I like to use that to my advantage and, you know, have them kind of underestimate me. But first and foremost, with a salary negotiation, that is another situation where you always counter. I know from personal experience how hard it is to counter offer when it's yourself because you feel like, something bad might happen. But what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is they say no, right? They're not going to say, we don't want you anymore. That's so rare because they've spent all this time, they've invested all this time in finding the right candidate. If you are the right candidate, they're just going to say no, or they're going to say, okay, how about this? You know, so you can counter offer in a variety of ways. You can make an actual counteroffer with an actual salary number, or you could say something like, can you do a little bit better and see how they respond? Something that women in particular are challenged with in a negotiation is apologizing. And I know I did it. I remember two weeks ago, I was negotiating something and I had to catch myself. I was about to say, I'm sorry, but I had to catch myself and just let it, let it sit there. It's really hard to not apologize when you're trying to assert your position, but the more you practice, the more you'll, you'll get better at it. Yeah. And and what about a car? I mean, you talked about, you know, the salary and just asking that. So the same thing with a car, you just, can you say, can you do better than that? Or do you just come with extra facts and extra information and just be like, Hey, my credit, I know I qualify for your best rate. So is this actually your best rate? Because here's what I've got for my credit union. I mean, can you, you know, is that kind of what you have to do is be extra prepared? Yes, absolutely. Uh, So I was negotiating a used car and they're all different points where you can raise an issue that you see would either would give you a better price. Right from the beginning, you want to start with a good number. Like I said, I was starting from the internet price. I had already lowered their asking price. And I found that actually a credit and whether you pay cash or take out a loan, I was told that it makes no difference. 
So I scrapped that as soon as he told me it's not going to make a difference. And I started asking about when you buy a pre-owned car, they come with certification or a checklist of the inspection that they made on the car. And so you can take a look at some of the things on there and poke a few holes sometimes. For example, I was looking at the tires and I was a little confused about the tires, whether they were new or whether they were really worn, but it turns out they were actually replaced. So when they got the car, the tires were really worn, the dealership replaced the tires. But if they had been really worn and they hadn't replaced them, then I would have either asked for a discount because I would have to replace the tires and I would quote some number that was, you know, reasonable and tied to how much it would cost me to replace the tires. Turns out the tires were replaced. So to me, that was like added value. Um, not only was I getting the car that I wanted, I was getting them with brand new tires. Other aspects for a car purchase are particularly when they have different cars on the lot and they all have different mileage. You know, you can start talking about, well, maybe I'll take this one or maybe I'll take that car. I'm not sure the mileage is so high on this one. I wouldn't want to pay as much for this one as I would pay for something with lower mileage. So you can poke holes in some of the areas where you can find where dealerships and and owners find real value in their cars, the mileage, the year, the make, the model, those kinds of things. So what other things might you be able to negotiate on other than your salary or uh, or cars? Uh, maybe some other purchases, large purchases? Or little purchases. Just the other day, I was buying a dress and the button was falling off. And I said, so is there a discount because the button's falling off? And she said, oh, yes, I can take 10% off for that. So I find myself doing it all the time. Once you're tuned into what a negotiation looks like, you'll find it everywhere. And we're not just talking about dollars and cents, but anyone who's in a relationship negotiates all the time, whether they want to admit it or not. <laughs> you know, who's going to do the, who's going to do the dishes tonight? Who's going to cook dinner tonight? That kind of thing. Even I find it everywhere. And for me as a lawyer, I'm negotiating constantly with opposing counsel. You kind of negotiate a little bit with the court sometimes too. I mean, you have to tailor your arguments and see what they will will uh, let you take. But yeah, I'm doing it all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that you um, you negotiated the price of a dress. Uh, how easy is it to negotiate at a retail place where everything has a price tag and that's the price? So what you're talking about when it has a price tag, you're talking about a concept called anchoring. Okay, so the uh, merchant that has the product is anchoring you to think this is what the product is worth. Okay. So if you want to negotiate, then that's where you have to start from. That's why a lot of people don't like to throw out the first number, but you can use that to your advantage. And like I said, you could point out a source of value in that garment, that dress, the button was falling off and say, Hey, listen, this really isn't what the price tag says, because I'm going to have to fix it. You could even say something like, you know, I'm going to have to ask a tailor to do it and that's going to cost me 15 bucks. Can you take 15 bucks off? I like to make it open-ended and see what can you do. I don't do it all the time, but when I see an opportunity, I always ask because as my realtor said, if you never ask, the answer is always no. Yeah. And I, I think that's interesting because that reminded me of a time when uh, I was buying a, you know, one of those electric griddle things that you make pancakes on and we were at the store and the thing was on sale anyway. It was on a sale pr 
price. So we asked for it and they said, we don't have any more in the back. And I said, well, can I buy the display model? And they said, yes. And I said, well, is there a discount for buying the display model? And they said, yes, we can take off 20%. And so, you know, we got 20% off the sale price on this like this griddle thing, just because, you know, I mean, you know, we're like, well, we could ask for the rain check and then get it later for the sale price, whatever. But now we're getting the floor model and, you know, awesome. and all we got to do is go home and clean it up a little bit and it's fine. Yes, absolutely. And some retailers offer price matching. That's an easy one yeah. to do. They even price match Amazon. So all you have to do is Oh, I'm so bad. I, I'll be shopping for something in a store and I'll just look it up on my phone and see if there's a better price. And I'll bring it up to customer service and say, you know, can you price match this? Another thing I do is when I get up to the cashier, I say, are there any coupons floating around that I don't know about? And that really works well at a lot of department stores because there's always a coupon. Yeah. Yeah. And they have the little thing and they've just got like a list of them just like right there by their register. And I, I've seen them do it all the time. They take the little scanner, just click it and you're done. Even if you don't have the coupon, it's great. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I found that people want to help. People want to be nice. And if it's in their power to help you out, they will do it because it makes us feel good to help people. For sure. So what happens when you run into somebody who doesn't want to make you feel good and doesn't want to help you? <laughs> Like what happens when you are kind of in that tussle with the car salesman or the tussle with the seller of the home or the person at the retail store who's like, I don't care if it's torn, you're not getting a discount. How do you then move forward in that situation if you're dealing with somebody who's kind of adversarial about it? It's so difficult. I mean, I deal with adversaries all the time, but it's important to keep in mind a concept called your BATNA, which is B-A-T-N-A, which is your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So if that salesperson says no about the dress, what's my best alternative? Is my best alternative to buy another type of dress? Or is it to buy that dress without the discount and just sew the button on myself? Or is it to find that dress at another store and get it perfect uh, for a full price or maybe even a lesser price. So it's really important to keep your BATNA in mind, your best alternative in mind. And that's where the research that you do going into an important negotiation really comes in handy. And that's all, also where I whip out my smartphone in the middle of the store and I see what are my other alternatives? And then I can move on from there. Yeah, I think there was one time I was uh, buying a computer for some reason, and I don't think it was for me. I was I was helping someone else buy a computer, and we just got to the point we were negotiating a little bit, and you know, I had a price that I had in mind, and my best alternative to negotiated negotiated agreement was walking out and getting something else somewhere else, and so that's that's what I did, and you know, I um. I went ahead and moved to the, you know, I said, you know, we've, we've gotten as far as we can get, you know, thanks a lot for your time. And we had spent a lot of time and walked towards the door. And, uh, before long, before I hit the automatic doors, they were after me and saying, all right, okay, let's see what we can do. And, uh, sometimes, you know, being that, you know, willing to just walk away from it and honestly walk away from it, I think, uh, you know, is, is a good way to get a little bit further with negotiation sometimes. Absolutely. And you never want to bluff and not right. follow through. So you could walk out that door with just as much confidence as you could accept a 
the new offer that they presented you <laughs> as you were about to walk out the door. You want to be able to keep that alternative in mind, no matter how much time you've invested in this option. It doesn't change what your bottom line goals are. So it's important to understand what your goal is and what your options are. Yes. So I am going to be ready to buy a car here pretty soon. Not a nice car. It's going to be a junker car for my teenage son. Uh, so it's not getting anything nice for me. So as, as I'm going through this and, you know, we've talked a little bit about negotiating a car sale and everything. Is there, are there some things that you need to know that are different when you're buying a new car versus a used car, especially if you're going to be buying it from a private party as opposed to a dealer? Because the last time I did a car negotiation with the dealer, it was, um, you know, I mean, everybody's like, oh, yikes, it's so scary. But it was pretty easy uh, because we started online. We sent it around to a few different dealers, had them kind of bidding against each other. Then, you know, it was kind of the end of the month and the end of the year. So we asked about manufacturer, you know, incentives and then their dealer incentives and then their special financing. And in the end, you know, we got it for quite a bit less and uh, then was listed and for 1.9% interest rate. And so we were happy, but I assumed that when I'm buying the junker and I'm getting it from maybe a private seller or, you know, a CD used car lot, I, like one of those, you know, those CD little ones that you have. Right. Yes, totally. Where they're like, we finance everyone. I yes. assume that the negotiation is going to be a little bit different. So what are some of the differences there that I should probably take a look at? I'm absolutely going to be different because you don't know what those financing deals are at those CD <laughs> car sales. And this isn't necessarily about negotiation, but as my role in the consumer lawyer, as a consumer lawyer, I'm always very hesitant about some of those deals that they're offering for financing at the small car dealerships. Ideally, you want to walk in there with a pre-approval on a loan from, for example, a credit union where you got your best interest rate. Okay. And then you have some parameters for how high you want to go. Another thing you want to do when you're buying, particularly from a private party, is you want to have the car inspected by a mechanic. Every mechanic I've ever ha asked about this has their own checklist of things that they inspect for a car purchase. This is totally normal for them to do, and they charge around 50 to 100 bucks for it. And it is going to be the best 100 bucks that you spend because you want to know if that car is broken in some way. So when you're negotiating that kind of deal, you're going to have to do that inspection that I talked about the dealership had done for me. Your mechanic will do the mechanical stuff that you can't see, but you can also ask about these um, sources of value on your own, like when were the tires replaced? And then take a look at the tread wear on the tires. Understand what it looks like when the tread wear is too low and be able to identify it. Obviously, take it for a test drive and see how it rides. Obviously, take it take it on some bumpy roads and make sure that things are are in good shape with the um with the suspension. And you don't know who you're going to be dealing with on the other end. It might be someone like me before I took a negotiation class who accepts the first offer that came in my bottom line. Uh, so you should ask, just ask. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then like you're saying, you can use all of these things like the mechanic and the test drive and everything as a, as a place to go from. To me, it seems like no matter what negotiation you're going into or what you're going to do, in addition to asking, it's very important for you to uh, do some research and do your homework ahead of time and come in and come into it as prepared as possible. Absolutely. It's not only going to help you in your negotiation 
itself, it's going to help you know when to walk away, like what Harlan was talking about. Yeah. So aside from purchases, how about negotiating? And this is something that might apply to a lot of uh, listeners and viewers, negotiating debt that you're trying to repay that may be a little too much for you to handle. Now, I know that some credit cards will negotiate and reduce uh, reduce your interest rates or even go through uh, systems that allow you to reduce what you owe entirely. How do you go about negotiating that aspect of your life? So I do work with some student loan borrowers and some debtors who are in a really tight spot with their debt. And so I have had some experience with this, particularly in the student loan world, where creditors will negotiate. But you first usually have to be in default on the payments. If you've been making your regular monthly payments and you're totally fine with keeping up to date, they're not going to talk to you. The extent to what they might do would be to, for example, if you have a credit card debt at 25% APR, something ridiculous like that, you might be able to negotiate down your interest rate. But until you're actually in default, they're a lot less likely to come to the table and start talking about a reduction in the principal, which is the amount that you owe and the amount that you're paying your interest on. So I've found that they are much more willing to come to the table when you can say, look, I have this lump sum. I'm ready to give you. So for example, if you have a $25,000 student loan, you have been on in hard times for 10 years, you just cannot pay it. And you've paid at this point paid more interest than you paid in even principal. You could say, listen, I've paid you know, $19,000 in interest on this $20,000 loan. Cut me some slack here. I have $7,000. I can give you in a lump sum to call it done. And that's going to tell them that you're serious. And if you need a payment plan, they might not accept your $7,000 just off the bat. They might say, okay, well, we can come up with a payment plan from there. And you might be able to get a payment plan that doesn't where the principal doesn't accrue interest during the next two years and you pay off, for example, 300, 350 a month plus that $7,000 earnest payment. But that lump sum upfront payment is going to go a long way in helping show them you're serious and that you'll be making good on at least a portion of this. How do you start? You just call the number that's on the bill and you get yep. shuffled around from one place to another or how, how easy is this? So you do. I mean, most debt, if you're at the point where they're collecting a debt, they're going to provide a phone number. You're going to call it and it's going to have this pre-recorded message saying, you know, this is recorded. All the information we collect is for debt collection purposes. And when you speak to the representative, take, da- take notes while you're talking to them, take down who you're talking to and try not to give them too much information about yourself. If they sent you a letter and it got forwarded to you in the mail or something, you don't have to give them your current address if you don't want it. You don't have to give them your social security number, although they probably have it, your current phone number, your cell phone or anything like that. You don't have to give them your email address. Although in order to facilitate the negotiation, if it sounds like they will be working with you, then you're going to have to provide some of that information at some point. When you really start talking turkey and get to talking numbers, they're going to say, I'm going to need to speak with you know the actual creditor. They're going to need to know what your hardship is. And so that's when you tell them your sob story and you might have to write it down for them and send it on in. Sob story being like you have been out of work because of a medical issue or 
something like that. I mean, I've heard a lot of them and a lot of them work. So if you can dig deep and find something to spark their compassion, then you might be able to get even further. It sounds almost like the more eloquent you are in talking about your hardship, the better deal it is. It's really hard because nobody wants to say that they've fallen on hard times. Nobody wants to talk about some of the really personal things that have made it hard for them to pay their bills. And I've never met anybody who doesn't want to make good on their entire bill. So yeah, it does come down to some sort of eloquence and storytelling. And that's really hard when you're talking about yourself and you already feel bad about having to make that phone call. So there's something we talk about. It's called expanding the pie. So if you think about, you know, you're negotiating a debt settlement and you're talking about the principal payment, right? But there are aspects of that negotiation where you can get a benefit without it translating necessarily into dollars and cents. For example, there are non-monetary benefits you can negotiate like the 1099 form that they send you and they forgive your debt. You want to find out if they're going to forgive more than $600 of your debt, how much they're going to write on that 1099 form. Because when it comes time to file your taxes, if they give you a 1099 that says they forgave $10,000 worth of a loan, you're going to have to pay taxes on that forgiven amount. There are different ways to do this so that it's all legal. But you want to argue to them that the amount that they're charging you and they're saying you owe in principle, in reality, it's lower than what they're telling you. And that's going to help you lower that number on the 1099. Another thing is to make sure that you understand how they're going to report it on your credit score. Okay, because they can report it in a variety of different ways. They can just delete the debt from your credit report. And that's what you want. It's much better than having a paid after negotiated agreement or paid in full, although those are also better than having something even worse written about, you know, still being in default. So negotiation is, it covers more than just money and career issues and salaries and things like that. How do you negotiate in a relationship when you might have a different idea of something than your partner? Yeah, I just try to break it down to what's the sticking point. There's this story about these two people in a grocery store and there's only one orange left and they're fighting over it because they both want the orange. And you might think that one person's going to win and one person's going to lose. Or you might think, oh, let's just cut the orange in half and everybody's going to be halfway happy. Well, the truth of the matter is once they start talking, they realize that one of the women wants the zest of the orange, which is this part of the skin on the orange for a pie that she's making. And the other woman wants the juice from the orange because she wants to make orange juice. And so they discover that there they go. They just having this conversation, they realize everybody can be happy. They can both walk away with 100% of the orange that they wanted. The woman gets the skin and the other woman gets the juice and everybody's happy. So that's what I try to do. I try to have a conversation um, about what's the sticking point? What's your goal? What are you trying to achieve? And hopefully we can work out the kinks in that way. It almost sounds like you're looking for a so-called win-win outcome, I guess. That's exactly (laughs) what it is. Win-win is something coined by one of the famous uh, negotiation right authors who coined the term integrative bargaining. And that's what that is. Bargaining and negotiation is no longer issuing mandates, pounding on the table, walking away and blustering. Negotiation looks like a conversation when it's done successfully. Are there ever situations where there might 
not be an opportunity for everybody to get what they want? Oh, yeah. I'm a divorce lawyer. So every divorce is an opportunity where everyone is going to walk away with something that they're not happy about. But the key Mm -hmm. is to find a way to make everybody almost happy, (laughs) to find those ways to expand the pie. For example, so I had a recent uh, negotiation where we were talking about who's going to be able to claim the kids on the tax returns. Well, if the husband claims the kids, he gets a for example, I don't really know what the numbers were, gets like a $10,000 benefit. The wife claims the kids, she gets an $8,000 benefit just because of the way their salaries work. So dad says, oh, I got to claim the kids because it's a better benefit for me. But for whatever reason, mom says she's got to claim the kids. Well, how about dad claims the kids, gets the $10,000 benefit and splits that in half with mom. And that's one way that we can expand the pie. When we start talking about what everybody's interests are, sometimes we can find solutions that makes everybody kind of happier. So when we're talking about negotiations and relationships like this, particularly divorce, but other situations as well, I think the key though is going to have to be both people wanting a good outcome, you know, the best possible outcome for everybody rather than trying to stick it to somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because that's one of the things that I noticed about my own divorce was that my ex and I, in the end, even though I was not happy and I didn't want, you know, the divorce to happen, it's not like I asked for it because I didn't. But one of the things though, was when we sat down and talked about what we were going to do and how everything was going to be divided up, we decided it would be a goal for the both of us to have the best start for each of us separately, as well as make sure our son was taken care of. And so we started from that point rather than a point of anger and trying to stick it to each other. And I think in any relationship, when you start doing these negotiations, you, you need to start from that point. Um, otherwise, um, Rebecca gets a new boat. Is that how it works? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a terrible businesswoman because I'm always trying to help people come to the table and find an agreement because I know that litigating the heck out of a, a divorce really leaves a lot of a lot to be desired, except that I get a big paycheck. But I'd rather my clients walk away with a relationship that they can work with. Because when they have kids, obviously, their relationship continues. But that's a really good point, Miranda. Because when you have somebody trying to stick it to the other person, you're not going to have that integrative bargaining that can really expand the pie for everybody. If dad really wanted to stick it to mom, he'd say, no, 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 I'm going to claim the $10,000 no matter what. You know, there's no way I'm, I'm going to split that. Whereas she almost got her full benefit if he splits his benefit in half. It's hard to navigate, but that's why also, if I may say, you should always hire a divorce attorney if you find that you're having difficulty with somebody not coming to the table because we can be the voice of reason whispering in their ear saying, this is going to turn out really bad for you if you continue to take this position. Sorry for that plug. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's great. So let us know again how our audience can find you online. Sure. You can find me at thepersonalfinance.lawyer. That's my law firm site. And soon I will be launching a negotiation class. It'll be all online and it will be providing for people, not just information about how to successfully negotiate, but practice. And I found, like I said, with every negotiation, I get better as a negotiator and it's a good way to test out your skills. That course and my five tips on negotiating 
Negotiation Pitfalls for Women is available at brilliantnegotiator.com slash adulting. You can download that little worksheet. I have five points, five pitfalls where women should uh, look out in their next negotiation and quick fixes for each one of them. We will include a link to that. It's there in the video that you're watching now. It's also going to be linked on adulting.tv once this episode is added to our podcast, a podcast that you can subscribe to at adulting.tv slash iTunes. And if you have any questions or would like to see us address a topic on adulting, then go to adulting.tv slash ask and let us know. And Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And till next time, act like an adult. <laughs> thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv. Adulting.tv.